should you decide to accept it. Welcome to this week's episode of Your Mission, where we are taking Notorious B.I.G.'s uh, famous Life After Death album and taking it from two discs down to one. So it is the two disc, one cut for Life After Death. Two discs, one cut. I love it. And the approach that I will say I took is, this is what I imagined. I imagined that Biggie, Biggie's Ready to Die record was a big success, went multi-platinum, right? They wanted to make a big splash, and I am sure Puffy was in there and he was like, you know what, if you put out a double album, you, go, you could go platinum half as fast. Because that's what they, that, like, so in other words, like, that's how they calculate going platinum is if it's a double album and you sell 500,000, you're platinum. Because you sold, like, literally two discs. But you didn't. It's the same album. That's not. <laughs> it's the same album. It's nonsense. But anyway, I'm rather certain the double album concept is, like, just like a pure cash grab. And so the approach I thought was, all right. We're gonna say we're gonna tell Puffy no. We're gonna make the best fucking record, <laughs> the best record. We're gonna cut out all the bullshit. We're gonna cut out the nonsense. We're gonna make the best, most representative record of what I think he was trying to say in this album, 1997. Came out in 1997, Life After Death, which, by the way, came out three weeks after he actually died. Maybe you should point that yeah. out. Yeah, he actually died three weeks before shot in LA he was doing a California like promo tour like going on radio stations and stuff like that shot in a drive-by shooting I think he died I think he was dead on arrival at the hospital three weeks later this record comes out and then I, I want to say three months later maybe Puffy's record comes out so it's all, all concurrently follows each other so we're telling Puffy fuck you stay the fuck away for the most part and we're going to come up with the best record. That, that was my approach, at least. Yeah. Plenty of albums dropping in 1997. Uh, um, Daft Punk's Homework drops in 97. Yeah. Uh, Camp Rose Uptown Saturday Night drops in 97. Wasn't, wasn't cool enough to have listened to those two in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> David Bowie dropped Earthling in 97. Nice. Offspring's Ixnay on the Ombre. Oh, I think I had that one. I actually think I did have that record. Erica Badu's Baduism, Cold Chamber's self-titled album, Baruch Assault's Eight Arms to Hold You. Okay, you had that, and I wasn't cool enough for Erica Badu, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think I had that Badu. That's a good college. record, too. Hel Helmet's Aftertaste dropped that year. Aerosmith's Nine Lives dropped. When did Mechanical Animals drop? When did Adore? Was that 98? I think I want to say it was 98. Yeah, I want to say it was maybe it was 98. So, so yeah, it was uh, recorded in 97 and released in 98. Yeah. May 24th of 1998. So and uh, Mechanical Album Animals? I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, so we were all 16, I guess, in 97 yeah, all when this record came out. Mechanical Animals was also 98. So yeah, I, we were 16, so this came out part of the year. So my question for everyone is, what is your memory of when this came out? And did you listen to it when it came out? Jenny. 
None and no. <laughs> Short. <laughs> at most, I think maybe, okay, because you have to remember, like, at that point, I did not have MTV at home. I think that was post when we had antagonized my mom so much that she finally canceled it. So I wasn't seeing it on TV except for the odd, like, maybe time or two I was at someone else's house and maybe caught it there. But otherwise, no. My So I remember Hypnotize dropping, and I like Hypnotize. I think my first time listening to the album was riding around with you and Randy uh, Alonso. <laughs> Randy Simpson. Yeah. yeah and I, I think it was maybe in Simpson's car. He had a truck. Um, so yeah. That, so maybe it was in your car because there were definitely three of us in the vehicle. Okay. It was, um, it was maybe it was been my car. Side by side situation. It was maybe, it was maybe in uh, my the car. The shit 26. Affectionately referred to as Slick Rick. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, and I remember listening to this in Randy's truck. I guess maybe there's some context for it. People have no idea. Randy was a guy that, like, we lived in a small town in, in, in West Virginia. Randy was a guy that he showed up. He was from Baltimore. The first time I ever met him was, I think it was tennis tryouts, like, sophomore year. And so he was, like, this kid who was, like, a foster kid in Petersburg but lived in Baltimore and it was just bizarre. Like he came out for tennis and, <laughs> and it was just like dudes like that that didn't come out for tennis. Like immediately like we hit it off cause he was funny and he was into cool music. And, and so he ended up being pretty damn good. And we ended up being doubles, doubles partners. And, and then I think he went to like military boot camp over the summer. I can't remember. But anyway, he had, he like introduced me to a lot of hip-hop around this time late 90s and i think it was his truck that i remember listening to it in because whatever we were in had some kind of system yeah yeah he had he had this yeah, he had the nice he had the nice speaker system and that's the yeah. thing about like hip-hop i think it's a lot of people because 2020 and everyone listens to their music with headphones it's just less i feel like there are less situations you actually listen to it with good speakers and loud and this shit was meant to be listened to loud as fuck. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I had the chance to do that. It, it came out, hypnotized. I remember watching the video on MTV. It, this was like, for me, this album coming out, like, and all the hypnotized and all the songs on here. It's just a lot of fun memories. Even though a lot of these songs are really fucked up and dark. <laughs> it's just a lot of happy memories. Because I feel like the whole summer we listened to that. We listened to Puffy's record no way out and like just had a lot of fun I, and i feel like jenny i don't know were you at any of these parties at matt's when we were like super no this was probably before when we were like super super drunk and like partying and we were listening to a lot of this stuff around that time and i, and I caught a few of those but yeah. i don't think biggie was a part of them yeah i remember matt i don't remember we had some crazy party like drinking all night and the next morning and we were listening to this music and Matt could not stand it. Like he just could not stand this shit. And I remember he, he like got pissed at us because we were like, we couldn't, we wouldn't wake up. 
and he grabbed this like fucking those those long kind of like floodlights. I don't know what those like the fluorescent the yeah. fluorescent bulb the yeah. fluorescent tube lights. He got one of those and smashed it <laughs> like just to tr- just to try and wake us up. It was some crazy times, but. A lot of fun for me. This record—that's why I wanted to do it. It was—it represented a lot of fun for me, even though it's like insanely dark. Yeah, for that time frame for me, I like—I remember listening to it. I don't remember really owning it. It's never been like high on my list of albums. Um, I res—I respect Biggie's like talent, but beats just don't do it for me for most of the time. So it was nice to cut it down to this because I have found that my cut of this makes me like yeah just back to back i'm fine i don't skip a track i don't think oh this really should be better other than the occasional can we please just turn down the down the puffy like track just drag it way down i think you and i briefly talked about like uh, my downfall my downfall see okay okay this is where okay i think you could cut puffy out of most of this record but i actually think his insane angry rant actually works on my downfall (laughs) Like, I, I mean, think the, I, I kind of love it. Works. It's just the anger works. I just the rest of it just seems so jealousy is a motherfucker. You weak, jealous motherfucker. If you're a weak, if you're a jealous motherfucker, you're a weak. Mother. He just flips out and the, the voice is distorted. And I got to tell yeah. you, I've, I've definitely had those thoughts before. <laughs> you know, Like, stop being jealous. Like, it's a weak, it's a sign of weakness. Right. I think it actually works, but we can get into all like the individual sure. tracks and shit like that. But I, I just do, do want to draw a picture that like the way I listen to it is obviously not the way most people listen to it, which was back in the day, but in in a very in a rural like small town with a handful of other people that liked or were interested in hip hop. Yeah, and that's about it. it. There's an interesting like maybe dichotomy is not the right word but there's an interesting dichotomy of being in an urban environment listening to this shit where it like reflects life on the street mm-hmm. and like being in rural west virginia and listening to this it's like a weird dark fairy tale <laughs> like it just yeah. like the things that they're talking about just did not exist where we were like, yeah we were lucky in a lot of ways but yeah it was like it was really easy to listen and listen to rappers and see it as like an exaggerated kind of persona thing that was happening versus the news taking everything literally. So you had this weird delivery of getting the the exaggerated nature of the character that a lot of rappers played and the other side of it being like having parents or hearing on the news that like shit is, you know, crazy everywhere and it's like when those two started to overlap, it was very, it was a very strange time, leading into reality at that point for us, at least. I'm not gonna lie that I think like how vulgar it is definitely appealed to me back then. I don't know that there was something that vulgar, <laughs> and not just in terms of like language, but just talking about like different kinds of shit about women. But just it was just it was really, it was like weird that it was like so popular to me like around that time. This was the time of fucking Tipper Gore, if you'll recall. This, this was, like... was post Tipper Gore. Mm. Tipper Gore was early, like I early mean, to mid-90s. Yeah, this but like, you know, this William is... Jefferson Clinton like, was the president, Al Gore was the vice president, you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is this was like still in the time of, I remember the like congressional hearings on X or the clampdowns because of content and 
like having the having the whatever the fuck that label was on the album cover was like a oh, yeah, big thing parental advisory parental advisory all that shit so I, I was always attracted to transgressive stuff like growing up this to me was sure. just like another piece of that it was like yeah there's we another side of that we were in a, a secondary loop of a Bible Belt. So, like, <laughs> anything that challenged that was super interesting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So Jenny, can you tell us the story of how you first listened to this record? Because I think it's funny. I, I'm, I'm sure it's not funny for you, but... <laughs> or... <laughs> no, no. I, I get a lot. Yeah, my my blood pressure gets a little up when I think. I've, I just talked about that with my with Claudio the mm. other like a couple days ago. Yeah, and I can't remember how it started. We were just like we were putting memes in the meme chat as you do, mm. and then somehow like the subject of oh no he said something he's oh I sent you a Snapchat for your birthday I don't know if you got it and I was like motherfucker I'm old and busy I don't even have Snapchat on my phone <laughs> that account is like I haven't looked or opened it in years honestly yeah but thank you thanks anyway and then he was like yeah and then i was like sometimes i had just finished baking a claw custard and something else i like went on a baking spree and i was like every once in a while i miss having a house full of boys because i feel like i'm on the kind of baking spree that only a bunch of high dudes could really appreciate right now <laughs> and he was like oh and aaron is yeah feel free to drop some of that off or whatever. And I'm like, it's not that crazy, but. So then I, I said something like somehow Steve came up, who was our roommate at the time. And Steve, I, I, I made the comment that, oh, he said, really, you would even with, uh, you would even want to hear Steve banging like random girls downstairs because his room was directly under mine. And I was like, honestly, like, I might take that over his music, if you recall, <laughs> like, what he was playing. And it's not because I enjoy either one. It's just that, like, of the two... Because here's what Steve would do, bless his little heart. He would put on the same ten songs, and then just... His mom had bought him this super, like, wild stereo that went all the way up, and the bass, like, shook the house. Like, yeah. it was, like, the sort of tool that he should not have been permitted to wield and yet someone gave it to him so he would find like 10 songs and just turn it all the way up at 3 a.m on a tuesday morning mm. and just while out he would go get two uh, like a 40 of old english from the dairy mart and just sit in his room and get drunk and do this wow so i've heard hypnotized before <laughs> once or sometimes here and there but I really heard it a fucking lot during that time period because, like, it shook the house at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday morning regularly. And, yeah, my, I, I really tried hard to, to put that aside when I was listening. And I think I did. I, I think I gave it a fair listen. And I have to tell you, my biggest qualm with Hypnotize is not necessarily that, believe it or not. But it was the fact that, for whatever reason, and I don't know why... You would think that as much resources and as much, like, everything that was brought to bear to put this album together, that girl singing in the background is out of tune and you think they could have fixed that shit? You really <laughs> think someone could have just auto-tuned it? And they didn't, and it drives out of tune. They didn't Why? have auto-tune. Why? They didn't have auto-tune. Okay. This is 
slightly before like, yeah, something could have been done get her ass back <laughs> in the studio make her do it again if that was the sample then like re-record the re i mean like fucking do something to line that shit up you're driving me crazy that is that's a, what actually irritates me that that's an interpolation that's like that's i can't remember what that's from that would be a good quiz question um, at the end of this other than that, yeah. it's actually not a bad song. It has one of the better beats. I will give it that. Yeah. And if you take, if, you, if 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 I can like compartmentalize and set Steve and the out of tuneness to the side, it's actually it's fine. I I can vibe with it. Okay, yeah. so Steve so. fucked fucked up some of this music for you a little bit. He really did, and <laughs> and a series of other songs. I I should have to. I really should sit down and make a playlist of songs Steve ruined for me. Yeah, in about two thousand and nine. I feel like I'm the same way with like my college roommate Carlos Duque. He fucked up some songs for me, like just permanently, right? Like the Passenger. It's a song oh. by Susie and the Banshees. But yeah, it's oh. it's a hit. He would, and and his thing was he would be, he'd be that repeat one guy. So like. The Passenger by Iggy Pop, over and over again, same song. Not ten. Steve, Steve, Steve was advanced compared to the the homeboy Carlos. That dude was. Let's see what else. Oh, the Down Easter Alexa by Billy Joel. Fuck, dude. I can never <laughs> ever listen to that song ever again. I didn't, I, I don't think I, I would have been a big fan regardless, but the whole band Guster. I will. <laughs> the whole oh, band really? Guster. Yeah, at all at all of Guster's music. The dude had two Guster albums like that were in just like high rotation, always forever. It's funny because I remember both. I remember interacting with you on both sides of that. Mm -hmm. I remember interacting with you when you like kind of turned me on to Guster because yeah. of Duke. Yeah. And then I remember coming up to visit shortly thereafter and having Guster and you being so annoyed at Guster. I was just like, God damn it! Why are we listening to Guster again, motherfucker? Why? And like for me, I man, will... I'm like, I need the smorgasbord of like fucking music. I like that. I like variety in my life. Homeboy liked what he liked. <laughs> Confess to being that person. Like I'm down for a variety, but sometimes I'm just also down to do the one song on repeat. But to my credit, I do it mostly because I live alone or now that Chris is here, like Chris knows he can just put on headphones. And so I don't subject other people to it for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I try not. I agree. Me too. I've actually been listening to... A whole bunch of like Tame Impala recently. Just I don't nice, know what nice. kicked it off, but yeah, it's like the same. I don't really love the last record, so it's really the same like yeah. the first three records. Like I've been like kicking around, so I've, I've I, warmed up a little bit more to the most re to the slow rush. Taking me a little while, but I've it, warmed up to it. It's all right. I think Current is so goddamn good that I just I don't know that there was like anything he could have done. But anyway, different episode. What I what. It, what I will say about this record, and I think this is another thing like that I like about it, is it does have a lot of, it's it's funny, it has a lot of variety within like a limited set of things, right? So, fucking bitches, crack, shooting motherfuckers, making money. Those four shooting things. Shooting and or robbing. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes it's a combination of all four. So the the tra uh, story to tell. I got a story to tell. I got a story to tell. It's a combination of fucking a girl plus like threat at least threatening to shoot motherfuckers. Yeah, because the story is that she's like dating one of the Knicks. The one of the Knicks. Yeah. With her while the Knicks are playing the jazz, and then he comes home early 
and Biggie gets the idea to tie her up with the pillowcases, the gag, like put on like something to cover his face and then hold the dude up and rob him like a hundred grand. Yeah. Like it is. <laughs> It's an amazing Dude, track. I love, okay, what's funny about that track? I, I listened to it a bunch of times. And I was thinking about it. So, great story. I like, the thing is, with, he, he was actually pretty good at telling stories, like actual coherent, yeah. complete stories, unlike a lot of his peers. But I, I don't know if you noticed, he raps the whole story. Yep. Then he tells the story, like, to his buddies, and it's the exact same story. So the first half of the song is he raps the whole story, and then the second song is he's just like hanging out with his crew and he's telling them the story. I don't know, like it was cool. It was interesting to have the, the story told two different ways. It was very like, compelling. Yeah, I, I think like you get like the entire experience of reacting to the story as it's happening, and then you hear him and his friends just like laughing about how insane it was to me i don't know maybe i i don't belong in his crew because if you would have told me that story i would have been like i would have been out of like my mind like what the hell just fucking that you fucking you threatened a fucking like member of the knicks i would have been like dude like you have a fucking <laughs> record deal man you have a daughter like what the fuck dude, is your problem the, <laughs> the funniest part of the retelling of the story is when one of the guys he's telling to is like, oh, which one? Yeah. Like, you I don't know. One of them six five. One of them six five guys. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's a it's an interesting track to me. This is another one of those. It's like when you're talking about the greatest rappers and stuff like that. Like this song is like another one of those like arguments that you can use. Like, hey, this is like one of the most interesting interestingly told stories in rap and he could do that too which is cool not everyone can do that i really love the percussion to this thing yeah the beat to this song is so good and it's, it's pretty different too yeah yeah it's, it's from the, from the rest of the production of the, than most of the, of the other tracks on the album I, and i think the better beats on this tend to be stripped down and leave a lot of room for biggies like storytelling that ends up being like the thing i enjoy the most is the, the way he can tell us a story through his rhymes um so the producer on this is buck wild who who did a whole bunch of stuff for fat joe Showbiz and AG, Lord Finesse. That makes sense. I yeah, hear yeah. Fat Joe yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's pretty neat. Um, and it's the only one that Buck Wild did on the record. And that's another thing in terms of variety. He had, like, he so he had the hits. Is it the Hitmen or the Hit Squad? I can't fucking remember. I think it's the Hit. So the Bad Boys in-house production team. He had them on a whole bunch of stuff, but then he had a whole bunch of other producers on different things and. I kind of like the variety in the sound, right? And the variety in the beats. There's a lot of really grimy shit, and then there's a lot more R&B stuff, and there's kind of everything in between. And I think it kind of works. I do. I was thinking about, so you were talking earlier about the, the this album was made to be played like in a loud system. And one of my complaints is that, like for headphone listening or cell phone listening, like, the bass does not hit enough to really register through most of it. But yeah, like putting it on in the car is yeah, dude. beautiful. And, and let me just talk about one of my favorite, one of my favorite songs on here. Do we not have an instrumental for this one? I gotta fix that. 
I gotta fix that. Can you can he talk and search? Can I can I can I can I vamp? Can I vamp and search? Maybe. Let's see. Like for me, like there's a ton of there's for me. This is like a ton of great instrumentals, like this one. But the one I wanted to highlight is going back to Cali. So Jenny, I'm kind of surprised this one didn't make your list. Much as you love going to Cali. I'm a little surprised. Because it's got one of the you're, catchiest, like, you're R&B muted. Days. You're muted, Toma. Oh, sorry. I was, I'm legitimately mystified right now. Really? Why Why would, why I, would I think? Because it's super, okay. it's Wait, super, super catchy. Up. Honestly, you could back up and you could ask me, like, why I would like anything on this album, and that would also be a valid question. <laughs> but like... Because it's super catchy. And I'm looking at your cut. I'm looking at your cut, and your cut leans oh. a little bit more into the R&B stuff. And hmm. and so yeah. I thought that naturally it would follow. This, so to me, you were talking about how it sounds in the speaker system in the car. This sounds amazing in a speaker system yeah. in the car, loud. Well, and, but it should, right? The beat is meant to be that, like, Compton sound, right? Like, it's meant to mimic that Compton sound that's going to hit on the system. It, it sounds like LL Cool J to me funny you should mention that because LL Cool J does have a song also called Going Back to Cali. Sounds nothing like this song and I, he, I think he loosely took the concept from that but what's interesting about this about Going Back to Cali is this is like this beat is basically more bounced to the ounce by Roger Troutman yeah. and Zap which Roger Troutman and Zap were like a, a R&B funk R&B group from the 80s and very famous for using like the talk box, the vocoder, and super compressed drums, big fat bass, and a ton of hip hop, for, especially around this time, like either was inspired by Zap or sampled and looped Zap stuff. And... Well, California hip hop at this time had a lot of that. I think like that defined this, the California sound for like, 94 through 98 by and large yeah i just would have i would have thought that i would have thought that this would appeal to you more just based on just based on your cut jenny i i like that i like that it it sounds like it sounds like a track that's just missing tupac (laughs) it just it's like he he was intended to be on it and it didn't happen and and it's yeah i'm just like california the biggest disappointment California Love, right, the Tupac and Dr. Dre song, also sampled the same exact song, More Bounce to the Ounce. Yeah. So, for sure, there's a lot of overlap, and maybe in the after party I can play a couple other songs, hip-hop that was sampled this and sampled this kind of stuff, but I I like, lyrically, I love the flows he does on this, like, they're really inventive and creative. And Jenny, one of the songs I, like, one of the things I want to, one of the things I want to play for you in the after party is there's like this really actually excellent analysis of his flow in hypnotize and like the internal rhyme patterns in his flow and hypnotize is like pretty awesome i can't remember who did the video but i'll pull it up a little bit later but for me like with going back to cali i love his flows 
I love the sound of the, the beat is like fucking awesome. It's definitely in the car. It sounds amazing with a good system. It sounds amazing. I love how like loose and fun it is. It's like really light, even though he's talking about sometimes talking about some pretty heavy shit. It's pretty light and loose and I don't know. That one's the one that brings a smile just because I remember <laughs> lots of fun things I did listening to that song back in the day. Just me personally. Jenny, let's talk about Kick in the Door. It was number one for you. Yeah, it was the it was definitely in in my book at least, definitely the best song on here for sure. In part because I I guess it's easy for me to say this and but I think in large part due to the complexity of what's going on musically. So Chris and I have this argument all the time. It's not an argument, it's just back and forth about the merits of any sort of rap music or anything where you've got people rapping over it or just the whole I, I'm really when I listen to music I'm here for the music pretty much and and you guys know by now that <laughs> I'm really not even like paying attention to what's happening with the lyrics for the most part it's because I'm here for the music that's and I tell Chris all the time and he's put flows or something and I'm like yeah. sure but like I would if, if that's what I was here for I'd go read a poem I'm, I'm just like more I just gravitate more towards the musical side of any song really and so this one, I think, musically had the most in it for me. It, it was bouncy and it had horns, like, which I wasn't really expecting. Um, it's, like <laughs> it's, it's put a spell on you, right? Like it's a screaming, it's a screaming Jay. Of, uh, yeah. Screaming Jay Hawkins, right? yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this was like the pleasant surprise of the album for me. It's like a song that I had not heard before that I actually like almost like legitimately I enjoyed it. Around about the third or fourth listen, like I was like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. And so it, it made me the happiest of anything on here. And I was really glad that I found like something that I could really dig into on here. Cool. And this was it. A little background on Kicking the Door, as Ryan mentioned. Sample of, or you know, the, a loop from I Put a Spell on You by Screaming Jay Hawkins. All right. Uh, yeah, Screaming Jay Hawkins. And produced by DJ Premier. Yeah. So DJ Premier, for those of you who don't know, is like a legendary hip hop producer. He was part of this group called Gangstar. And a whole lot of the great hip hop from the 90s happened to be created by DJ Premier. And he has a couple of, I would say, tropes, right? Like his music is pretty spare. Like he cuts and loops these samples like very carefully. He uses sometimes like samples from like movies. He scratches choruses a lot of times. I like so like he'll scratch like a quote from over here and scratch it and match it with another quote from another song. And a whole bunch of hip hop producers coming out of this time like were super influenced by him. And the other song he did on this record. Motherfucker. It, the scratch work on this is incredible, <laughs> incredible. Like for an album that has zero scratches anywhere else, <laughs> this entire track is just scratch work. I, That's so crazy because I really like Kicking in the Door and like this one as I don't, 
I'm mad about the subject matter, but I also just don't like this song. And it's, I, wow, I would have expected better from whoever that dude was. <laughs> DJ Premier? It's so funny because, see, yeah. to me, I don't see, I don't, like, to me, it, it makes logical and natural sense that the same producer produced both songs. From the standpoint of, it's a simple loop, it's pretty spare, there's not a ton going on, there's a lot of scratching, and the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that's Chuck D from Shut Him Down. So he scratched, he's scratching on that. The 10, I don't know where the 10 comes from, but it sounds like it's a sample from a movie or a TV show or something. So to me, it has a lot of the same stuff. So it's not surprising to me, but maybe a little bit more yeah, dissonant. I, I think it's more just that I think musically that whatever's going on in the other song is just so much, I don't know, it's just so much more catchier and this is like hard for me to, it's like, all right, there's these four notes and the same <laughs> beat. And, yeah. and listen, I, to be totally fair, I, I can appreciate like the technical skill that goes into this. I'm not mm -hmm. in any way hating on that because I you know, can at least, I, I can hear what you're saying and I recognize that takes skill. It's just that musically, I think what it turned into just for whatever reason, just doesn't do that much for me. So it is what it is. Uh, another thing, I think this song is like a song you have to let, like the, it's about the lyrics. Like everything serves the lyrics. The intro, yeah. how spare it is. It's just, it's featuring the lyrics. And the concept is there's 10 commandments to dealing crack and I'm going to tell you what they are. And when you talk about the subject matter, yeah, that shit sucks. Like, it sucks. But the thing about it is, like, there's a lot of rappers that claim to sell crack. Oh, yeah. I think sure. from every indication... Oh, there's a lot of my clients who claim that, too. <laughs> <laughs> from every indication, like, including his, like, criminal record, like, yeah. he actually did. And there were a lot of people that oh, sure. make, make these, like, claims. And so... You know. And also, he was from Jersey, apparently, or so the internet said. So I'm sure he absolutely was. I have no doubt that this is authentic. No doubt. He's from he's from Brooklyn originally. He ended up living in he ended up living in Jersey, and I think he even okay. he says that in this record at some point. He's like, I moved to New Jerusalem. I think at some point. I, I don't know. I can't remember. But referring to um, referring to Jersey. But so yeah, the subject matter sucks, and it's real to me. It's like nihilism essentially right it's i'm gonna do this i'm gonna show you guys how to do this thing that's basically you're just yeah. a merchant of death right uh crack i don't know actually i'd say i don't know that many people who are dying over for crack per se no. i mean you usually listen your 841b1c death results are usually reserved for heroin and fentanyl i've though others are they occur i'm sure but they're really rare yeah um, usually it's a combination and it's usually something involving heroin fentanyl or like something like a pretty hefty dose of a couple things usually mm -hmm. in any event we're getting off subject but you could also argue in fairness to all of them that what really sucks about that is the fact that in the 80s white people with power made some really shitty drug laws that yeah, uh, necessitated yeah. all of them. right so and, and what you're referring to is like the the sentencing for crack versus the sentencing for powder. Well, yeah, because here's what, I mean, just in a nutshell, powder cocaine, the sent, the federal sentencing guidelines, all right, I'm, I'm, I, pro I probably am going to try to keep this to a minimum, but like it's important. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good, it's good. 
the sentencing guidelines penalize they set basically base guideline ranges based on quantity for all the controlled substances in eight in 21 usc 841 they the sentencing commission determined okay we're gonna decide how harmful sub certain substances are and we're gonna base the term of years on the harm to the community and the effects and what's going on some point they somehow arrived at the conclusion that crack should be penalized 100 times 100 to 1 ratio 100 to 1 whereas powder cocaine and it was the one right so it was 100 times more harshly the ratio was just batshit insane there was no scientific basis to penalize crack that much more harshly than powder cocaine only the wild coincidence that white people ended up doing powder cocaine more and crack was something that was far more prevalent in projects and minority communities yeah, in yeah. low-income housing and it, it took a long time but only around about like the 2000s like mid-2000s did somebody finally say yeah there really was never any basis for us to do this scientifically and yet you've still got all these people serving these sentences because fair sensing act of 2010 wasn't retroactive that was the biggest fuck you they changed it and they fixed some of these quant you know these ratios they didn't even fix it all the way they fixed it to 18 to 1 which is not all the way but right. nonetheless they fixed it in 2010 but declined to make it retroactive to anyone sentenced prior to 2010 and th isn't that a fuck you yeah. i mean sorry i'm I, no, I'm, I'm better it, now no but i think it's absolutely i mean like to me like this is like the beginning of the time of like crack rap it's like the rap like people <laughs> rapping about selling crack well there's a song in here at some point where he says, I, I feel like I heard him say 24 years, you'll go away for 24 years. And I just went like, what, just 24? Like, what <laughs> kind of are you looking at? <laughs> Jesus. Um, and maybe it's a good lead in into this song because like, I, so I love the beat. I love the loop. We've covered the, we covered the source material here in, a, in an older podcast, Bobby Caldwell, I think it's called My Flame. Yeah, The Flame, My Flame. Yeah, yeah so. I actually put that in our after party. Nice, video. yeah, we should definitely listen to that. I wouldn't mind going yeah. on, a, on another Yacht Rock diversion, but. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work in some sample tracks. So I love the beat, I think it's a great sample. I actually think the chorus works really well. The, the problem I have with this song, I, it's still on my cut. The problem I have with the song is this, it's like Biggie's trying to sound like regretful and nostalgic, but he can't help brag about like how he fucking sold. Like he can't help. And it's more of an angry, like, fuck you, I made it anyway. And he just cannot be the good guy. Like he's gotta be the bad guy, always. And I always, I find that really interesting. I find that really interesting. And it, if you ever listen to the song Juicy from Ready to Die, it's the same kind of thing. He's like nostalgic, but he's also, fuck you, I made it. Like, <laughs> like it's not like I really regret what I did, right? To make it, right? Which makes him different from, let's say, like a Jay-Z or someone else. They actually have songs where <laughs> they talk about that they, the things that they did that hurt people are things that they feel really bad about and maybe if he would have lived longer maybe that would have changed but i really find it interesting that on the song where he's supposed to be the good guy he can't really muster it i don't know i don't know maybe that's reading in a little bit too much but 
it's definitely one of my favorite songs on the record, and we should absolutely watch the video in the after party, which is pretty silly. Let's see, what else do we need to cover here? Oh, okay, hold on. Let's see here. Let's look. Mo Money, Mo Problems. Okay. Let's do a little Mo Money Problems. Sure. Um, do y'all ever think that, like, Puffy just sounds, like, super sleepy all the time? Yes. Like, when he's talking? Yes, okay. that is. I, I got that like monotone, low energy. That is his like style. <laughs> That's like his rap had, style. Like he's struggling to pick up his lips properly, almost. Like it's just they're just too sleepy. too sleepy. So the other guy rapping on here, Mace, he's like slightly more on beat. It's I mean ever so slightly more energy, just as monotone, maybe slightly more clever. But here's the thing: is that Puffy never wrote any of his lyrics, so. I assume that Mace wrote the lyrics for Puff on this record. So he kind of even sounds a little bit like, Mace is interesting just because Puffy wanted him to be like the next guy. And he was like popular in the late nineties, but then he just disappeared. He actually became a preacher, believe it or not. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Mace with the dollar sign in his name. I would love to hear a Mace Thurman. I really <laughs> legitimately would like to. I wonder if you can tune in online, if that's a thing. We I'm can. sure we can find something on YouTube. How much you want to bet? But I, I feel like you can. This is a Donna Summer or Diana Donna, Ross? Diana I think Ross. it's Diana Ross. Diana I'm Ross sample. Out. I'm coming out. That's right. Yeah. So this is, and so like for me, my mom liked disco and I, she would play, some, she had some greatest hit disco compilations and stuff like that. So like I knew, I was familiar with the I'm Coming Out. And like this song, it was like fun. There's a fun video, like it was a big, huge hit. But I always felt like it was such a lazy, like they just basically took the song and rapped over it. <laughs> yeah. With a couple of scratches and stuff like that. I don't know, what, what do you think? What do you think, Jenny? What do you thought? It's just catchy? It's not. I, I think you're right in that it does seem lazy and that there's like less there's all it seems like there's a lot less work that went into that and I think that probably if I heard the original song there's a good chance I'd like it better than what this is you might um, it's got a little more of a disco I very beat. well might yeah. yeah disco's not my thing either but I feel like I feel like the points I'm giving to this are really just I really ought to give them directly to Diana. <laughs> okay, so nothing about the rhyming. I, w I do agree. Puffy rapping, his rap style, if I can summarize, is low energy, monotone. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> which is not... He should not be rapping. You know, he should barely be yeah, talking about even, any of these records. Who even put him in charge of anything back then, honestly? So he... Founded the label. He his first rapper was a guy named Craig Mack. So maybe we should listen to Flavor New Year and the After Party, which is like a pretty great song. Yeah, that would be a great song. But like Biggie was like his first like huge hit. He also produced some R&B acts, like I think 112 and a couple others. But he, I think he was just like a business guy. I can't remember what college he went to an HBCU and started this label and. What's interesting is he just figured out how to get in on the celebrity piece. And there's like a very famous video. So, so it was Puffy with Bad Boy and it was Suge Knight with Death Row. The two competing labels from opposite coasts, if we're going to buy into that little narrative. But there's a video we maybe again also could play, but there's a video where 
Suge Knight is at the uh, Source Awards, and he's like talking about how great they are, and he's like saying, if you if you like it when the rappers rap, if you don't like it when the producer is like all up in the video, <laughs> and whatever, and he's like directly talking about Puffy, like just trying to like sh- like just steal a little bit of fame and a little bit of celebrity. Which I, I I totally get it, but here's the thing: like Suge Knight is in jail, and Puffy is I don't know, like probably a celebrity forever, for as long as he wants to be. Like, what's Suge Knight in jail for? I think he beat up some guy, then he violated probation. He was the next football player, and he was not a good guy. And I, I, I'm not saying that they all end up in jail. Certainly. Oh no, I start echoing there. Oh, oh no, I start echoing there. Damn. Still like yeah, I don't know. It happens. Okay. It'll go away. It'll go away. Right. So let me see here. Oh, okay. Jenny, we're gonna go through your cut. Where is fucking you to, fucking you tonight? Oh, <laughs> uh, number four. I'm actually surprised that neither of you had that. <laughs> First cut, but when I listened to the song again, that it was it just yeah. I. I I I understand why you would think that I would put this on my cut. It's real smooth. It sounds good. I forget forget that everyone else in the world who isn't me, like, actually pays attention to the lyrics. And (laughs) I can see how it would be off-putting. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes sense. Okay, so there's a couple reasons that it didn't make my cut. I agree that if we're just listening to this instrumental, if this is like a minute-long instrumental interlude... I'm putting it in this fucking, in my cut. Okay. I like this instrumental. Perfect. I think this instrumental is great. I think it's great. It sounds almost like Badu-ish, right? Neo-soul Badu-ish. Okay, so the problem is, okay, there's two problems. One is like, the the chorus makes me laugh. And I don't think it's supposed to, right? Like, what does the chorus say? I'm fucking you tonight. (laughs) Like, 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 you know, with part at the end i can't really remember but i feel like he was like or he's just basically oh like you've gotten used to this good treatment but like also i'm fucking you though that's what so. i'm saying no no so yeah, so yeah it's funny to me like in like just dark humor from dark humor standpoint because like r&b songs right they're usually there's like some subtlety it, may, it might not be a lot but there's some kind of i'm saying one thing and i'm meaning the other right and the Hi, chorus, that exactly, that's what I'm saying. He's, I'm fucking you tonight. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is, dude, it's it's a song in which R. Kelly is talking about fucking you tonight. When we know what the fuck he did, it's tough for me. It's real tough for me. The track caps <laughs> off with, with R. Kelly making the statement, whether you like it or not. Oh, yeah, I know, dude. Right. <laughs> oh, no. It's just, <laughs> it's just <laughs> tough, dude. It's me. tough, man. I'll tell you why that doesn't... I, I don't think it really bothered me that much is because I honestly found the whole thing laughable where I was, like, the idea that, like, R. Kelly... Like, in the same way that I find Biggie's, like, constant claiming to get laid... <laughs> That's pretty funny. It, it, it doesn't bother me because I think that's adorable. You can say whatever you want on the song. It's your song. And you can act as if you're getting all this. But look, I Googled a picture of Biggie and I'm going to call bullshit. I don't think he was getting laid that often. And so, if he was, good for him, I guess. So here's some, maybe so, another metaphor I could draw just to explain. 
Okay. I love Woody Allen. So, send me the fucking hate mail, everyone. I love Woody Allen, okay? I have a hard time watching Manhattan. It used to be one of my favorite movies. But here's the thing about Manhattan. Like, it's a movie where he is the... He plays the main role, and he falls in love with a high school girl. It's a little too on the nose. It's it's just it's like it's just a little too. It's on just the nose. a little too much when you know that at least he's had a lot of allegations of. And so it's, for me, it's like I, I'm not gonna deny this beat is fucking buttery yeah. good. It's I love amazing. it. Yeah, I love it. I like it. It's all that. It just I don't know. I just can't do it, man. There's too many other songs that I like on here. For me to just throw in R. Kelly saying that he's fucking you. Yeah. You know, I feel like R. Kelly makes this song a little too real at the end. <laughs> Dude. It's, it's good. It's funny. The beat is like the instrumental does not get cut from my album. Right. This was a matter of this was in making a, an album from the instrumentals. This is definitely on here. This is amazing. But it just gets a little too real at the end of it. The joke goes from being funny to being like uncomfortable. And, and yeah, it's probably just like the lens of, you know, the R. Kelly trials, but yeah, it's just a little much. It is, it's, it's, it's a little much. It's a little much, and, and in general, the fucking songs are not on my cut. Like, I did for a second have um, Nasty Boy on there because I thought it was funny, but <laughs> they just don't work, man. And I think you're right, Jetty. It is pretty, it's just laughable to me. Like. <laughs> just a bunch of these fucking stories. Right. I just, I don't know, man. I just can't take it seriously. And no diss on Biggie. I mean, He's a very talented guy, but come on, man. That's fine. Like, maybe, I'm sure there are some who are like, oh, it's Biggie. He's a rapper. Fine. Like, I'm enamored with that. That's fine. But, like, this idea that you're just constantly pulling in nines and tens or getting all kinds of, ah, I don't know. <laughs> but R. Kelly, I almost wonder if. I guess I feel like there's a reason he probably gra gravitated in recent years towards younger women. It's I think it's because mature women would be like, fuck off, R. Kelly. Like, you're R. Kelly. Come on. <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. That's a totally valid point about the fact that it has still happened to younger girls, and it's still very sad. You're right. And, and the chorus, it's so insanely sleazy. And to okay. me, like it, to me, like a successful R&B song gets at it, works at it, like hints at it, and, and without too much subtlety. This is just not even trying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They play that for out for or at R. Kelly in prison. <laughs> for him. <laughs> While what? Or at. <laughs> what is I happening? While what is happening? Uh, is my um, nothing actually <laughs> needs to be happening. I just hope they play it at him so he has time to sit there and think about it. Oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that whole, that dude. Okay. You know what? Let's maybe talk about your nobody's or somebody kills you. Last track on the record, as I recall. Anyone, their thoughts? This, again, this is another example of a really great, smooth, like, 90s, hard... It, it, yeah, like the the content is hard. The beat is super beautiful and smooth. Yeah, I don't know. Just 
stood out for, it stood out for this album for me like from go and again as always like biggie's lyrics are amazing but this beat really stands out the instrumental i really like more than the song honestly that's what i should have done i should have just gone had i known there was like instrumentals available i should have just gone through and listened to all the instrumentals is what i should have done but i like this one i do i think what bothers me about it is kind of the way that they're singing the chorus something about that doesn't strike me as particularly well suited but this by itself i'm with ryan this is good stuff Dude, I'm just going to go through a couple of the lines in here because I think some of the lines in here is just so fucking great. With my sycamore style, more sicker than just... Like, immediately I was just like, okay, that's a silly little, like, clever pun. I love his flows on this. He's I'm big dangerous, you're just a little vicious. <laughs> as, and, and he says, as I leave my competition, respirator style. Okay. Yeah. So, Pac, Tupac had died in Vegas, what, like, nine months before this record came out? They I, don't, I think that might be pretty yeah, close. And so, and so they, so he, there was also a drive-by. He got shot. He was still alive when he got to the hospital. They had to remove one of his lungs, but he died anyway. And he was on a respirator, okay? And there is no, there's no doubt in my mind that that line is like trying to create some sort of intrigue around maybe Biggie was involved in Tupac's death because of their rivalry. And he does that a lot of times throughout this record. There's a lot of little lines where you don't have to read in too much to interpret like some kind of little dig here and there. Which, which again, at the time, like at the time was interesting. They both died and they both died undoubtedly like all the hysteria around their rivalry like contributed in some part or in some way to their deaths there's no doubt about it so just catching those little references there's another one he says where he says watch casino i'm the hip-hop version of nikki tarantino which he fucked up have you guys watched casino yeah it's been a few years but yeah casino great great movie everyone should watch it the name of Joe Pesci's character is Nicky Santoro. Yeah. And I think he just, you know, it's a violent movie through in Tarantino, or maybe it just worked better with the next thing he says, Ask Nino. I don't know. I just thought it was like a funny little... And then the last verse where he's, you can be so awesome, you can be so amazing, and then no one will just, no one will, will remember you at all until somebody kills you. And he like, the last verse is like him making the chorus like a literal thing. Which is pretty hilarious. He's a fucking shame. Duke's a lame. What's his name? Dark skinned Jermaine. See what I mean? <laughs> like, he's like, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Oh yeah, that's the guy that got shot. Which I think is clever. And this is the last track on the record. And he was a big star before he died, but there's no doubt that he became a huge like legend because he died, or at least in part because he died. Well, and, and a big part of that is is hypnotized and mo like the singles off this album propelled him like into the stratosphere in terms of what was being played for like pop hip hop. There was there's some really good content deeper in the album that was not part of that persona that was put out with those singles. But yeah, I think 
I think dude was at his height of popularity for this album. And yeah, getting killed at that really goes a long way. It took him, it like, I think to me it took him over the top. I'm not saying he wasn't great and he wasn't, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, I remember, so he died. His album came out, Puffy's album came out and it had the tribute song to him. Yeah. That was like a huge hit, which was like yeah. the, the I'm Missing You, the sample, the police, every breath you take sample. No doubt that that whole thing took his like sort of reputation to like another level. And it's eerie, sure. he made this record before he actually died. Like, it's kind of crazy. It, it, it is, it's, it's not in that like, his albums were all kind of death themed, right? Like, so ready to die, life after death kind of makes sense after the popularity of ready to die. But yeah, there's a little bit of eeriness to that. For sure. so, so I think to me, like you, you bring up ready to die, the difference between this record and ready to die is I think that Ready to Die had a lot more color in terms of the different kinds of things that were going on, different sorts of emotions. The last track on Ready to Die is called Suicidal Thoughts, where he kills himself. Yeah. At the end of the, and he's talking about how fucked up things are and he kills himself and he can't take it. Well, and this album starts with Puffy visiting him in the hospital. Exactly. Which obviously none of us included that on our cut, but, but <laughs> yeah, like the first track on, the first track on this album is, is it opened by Poppy visiting a biggie who's like on life support in a hospital. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking about I was thinking about Taylor Swift's album. And I know obviously there's something going on that's similar to what happened with Taylor Swift's thing, which is that it's a more compelling story presentation narrative because of like shit that's outside of the music. And there's this meta narrative that's outside of the music that you can tap into and then enjoy the music more. I know all about the Tupac Biggie shit. I know all about it. So every time I listen to a lyric where I'm like, oh, I see what he's doing. It might not mean anything to other people, but it's like a little kind of like little hint or a little depth there where if you know the kind of larger story, then it makes sense. Sure. Also, I know nothing about this. And <laughs> if you guys have opinions, like weigh in by all means i'm mm -hmm. curious but like i was googling really quickly so biggie's murder is still technically unsolved right they're both technically unsolved, unsolved. yeah pock and biggie's murders. Um, but i think it's curious because apparently the whole thing about T like tupac was that when he was killed, Biggie was like, no, I was working in a New York recording studio. Like, I got receipts. Like, no. I was here. People saw me here. No, no. But now, so, like, in... So what in, you're talking about is when... So, yeah, what you're talking about is when Tupac got shot in New York separately from when he... Like, so oh. he got shot a bunch of times in the oh. lobby <laughs> of a recording studio or in the lobby of... In the lobby of some building in New York. I can't remember. So... Not, I'm not going to get too in the weeds here. Biggie and Pac were actually friends before all this stuff. Biggie was coming up. Tupac had a number of albums out. Like, Pac was a little bit of his mentor. Tupac was originally from um, the East Coast, went out to the West Coast because of acting, because he was an actor, too. And so they were buddies, and when Pac got shot, I think he was going to meet Biggie at this recording studio. And so he... I think he thought, or something happened where he thought that 
Biggie and company were involved in some way or allowed it to happen or had something to do with it. And, and also just jealousy, right? Biggie became a huge star. So there's a lot of stuff like that going on where, yeah, so what you're talking about is the shooting incident that he survived. He survived and then, and then what fucks everything more up is that Biggie made a record, I don't know, six months after that whole thing called Who Shot Ya? Oh my god, that's fucking weird. Right? And there's nothing directly associated with Pac, but it's what? Like, <laughs> so, do you know, there's just all these little things and levels. and It's don't... so antagonistic, it's like rude. <laughs> but dude, Tupac made a song called, Ryan, why the fuck can I think of this song? It's, ah, uh, fuck, what the name, what is the, oh my god, I'm so... You're gonna have to give me anything to go on. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's, a direct, it's a direct diss of Biggie, and it starts out with him saying, that's why I fucked your wife, you fat fucking, like, you fat fucking motherfucker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, hit him up. Yeah, yeah. We'll have yeah. to watch that, we'll have to watch... No, wait, no, wait. Did Tupac fuck Biggie's wife? Cause yeah, okay, alright, so now you're interested. Biggie was the one, was this... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> See, Jenny, we should have done this shit from the beginning. We should have done this shit before. Okay. But, okay, so Biggie married an R&B star named Faith Hill. Okay? Okay. Faith Hill's the country singer, no, sorry. right? No. Uh, no. Faith, Faith Evans? Evans? Faith Evans. Faith Evans, I'm sorry. Faith yeah, Evans. Yeah, Faith, Faith Hill is the country. That would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. That would be funny. <laughs> so he married this R&B star, Faith Evans, who sings the chorus with him in, in uh, You're Nobody Till Somebody Kills You. Right? Yeah. So, Faith Evans got invited to do a record with Tupac, and it became apparent to her that he was just doing it so she, he could claim that they had sex, so he could brag to he could rub it in Biggie's face. Okay, and so she claims that it never happened. Of course, Pac was like, "That's why I fucked your wife, you fat fucking." And like, the whole song is basically a big, huge diss. And so, again, like, a lot of this stuff becomes a little bit more comp like, I, me personally, I don't think you need any of that shit to enjoy this music. There's, it's a oh, certain kind of thing. Alonzo, your mic keeps dropping out. Oh, does it? Oh. Yeah, it's like, I was hesitating on saying anything. Fuck. No, it's all good. Are you in a troubleshooting mode? No, no, like, no, no, it's all it's good, been, it's all good. It's okay, I can cut it's this It's been out. minor, and then it, it seems like it, the gap has been bigger. It's okay, I'll just, I'll, just let me know if it happens again. Is it still happening? It's not currently happening. Okay, all right, let me know if it happens again. It's fine, we can just edit this out, it's, it's all good. Anyway, what I was saying was, there's, I don't think you actually need all of this kind of drama, soap opera, gossip shit, like, to enjoy the music. But if you know it, it definitely adds another level, another layer that kind of sure. makes it a lot more engaging. And I think there is like an intersection of like comic books, let's say professional wrestling and like hip hop in the sense of there's this, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of male soap opera stuff going on, <laughs> right? Like where you have like different kind of levels of story you can engage in or not. But when you do engage with them, they become like, they become much more yeah. interesting. That, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a professional wrestling fan, but I am a hip hop fan and I am a comic book fan. And it probably, there's probably some, there's probably a good reason for that. Yeah. So let me see here. What else do we need to cover? 
We did Sky's the Limit. We did... Oh, I gotta play I Love the Dough. Like, we gotta talk about I Love the Dough, because that's the one That's the one where I feel like yours and your and my... Yeah, so you and I Ryan. differ on two, like, tracks for me that stand out. And one is I Love the Dough, which... I, I'm not a big Jay-Z fan, but this is early enough in the Jay-Z career that, like... I think his verses are strong. All the verses are strong. The chorus is, is kind of throwaway for I Love the Dough. But at the same time, the chorus is indicative of that time in rap music, right? Like that kind of chorus existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I feel like now there's even some like throwback tracks that kind of make light of it. But, but it was a serious piece of hip hop at that point to have a chorus. Oh, oh yeah, dude. Um, this was that time. So like, like, I could throw that chorus out, but the, I feel like the rest of the album just shows like how good, like the two, maybe at least at this point in time, Ryan Noss is you know, left out of this equation, but like two of the big, the two biggest rappers in New York at the time on the same track, both just smooth, clear, like, it's great. It's yeah. a really great Jay-Z like guest appearance on a track. So it's good. If I have to pick Biggie Jay-Z collab songs, I'm gonna pick the other one, Brooklyn's Finest on Jay-Z's record. But yeah, on reasonable doubt. But, but it's not on this album. It's I not can't on just this album. On a Biggie album. I, I, I want to though. <laughs> I want to. But but yeah, this one's a little too shiny suit for me. But this work like like this works as like. I, I get why Hypnotize is a single. I get yeah. why I have No Money, No Problems is a single. I yeah. get why Sky's the Limit is a single. Right. But like, this delivers, I don't know, it's crazy to me to think that you've got Jay-Z and Biggie on a track and it's not a single. This is another like indication of when this wasn't hip hop because let's say Biggie lives, like mm -hmm. a few years later, you do a track with the two of them on the album and that's the first thing you put out for that album. Like people are gonna buy that, that shit immediately. <laughs> but it's good, it's a solid Jay-Z verse. I have a lot of, I struggle a lot with Jay-Z early stuff because it's it's really, the Big L Jay-Z kind of controversy hits me where yeah. it's really just Big L flow that Jay-Z is laying down. But it's it's a really good Jay Z track. Okay, you did put in Notorious Thugs, and we haven't talked about that. Yeah, I fuck I fucking hate Bone Thugs. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't. I'm with you. I am not a fan of Bones. Like I, they're another artist where this track is amazing. Like the beats constructed. Obviously, Bone Thugs are talented. Like they don't appeal to me, but they're very talented. Alonzo, you and I briefly talked about this during the week, like Biggie is able to both retain his style and flow and take on like their flow in a way that a lot of like artists when they rhyme with other artists that are big, like Bone Thugs were at this time, like like they morph into their style more and they leave themselves behind a lot. Yeah, yeah. Which I had a good example, but I'm horrible with examples. But like Biggie retains Biggie. He just shows that like this like style that he's built works at a double syncopated rhythm. Like I, it's, I, it's amazing. This is okay. This song, it's a, one of those songs that like 
It makes the hair stand up type of deal, do you know? Like, for me, this song is, you put this on in Randy Simpson's truck at full fucking volume, <laughs> and it just sounds amazing. It sounds so good. Like, the beat sounds so amazing. I love, like, people are used to that kind of drill, hi-hat, trap beat thing, or whatever. But most hip hop beats didn't sound like that back then. Yeah. And this is cool. It's like I love the bit. Like I, and and what's cool is the double time, like you just said, Biggie does the double time rap, which is not something he usually does. He does the double time rap, and he still sounds like Biggie, but it works. It works. To me, this is this song is another one of those like greatest of all time, like you can write that as another piece of evidence, right? Okay, he can do this, he can do this, he can tell the story, he can do these crazy weird flows or whatever, and then he can do what Bone Thugs does. Yeah, so. <laughs> just on the side, just yeah. as an aside. Yeah, I will say that, like, probably the reason I don't like Bone Thugs is because my introduction of Bone Thugs was like, did this come out first or did Crossroads come out? No, 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 Crossroads and all that shit came out first. And Bone right, Thugs so, was big when we were growing up in our town. Yeah. Like people, like people listen. That didn't listen to hip hop. Listen to Bone, Bone. Thugs. Yes, in a absolutely. Real serious way. For sure. Like I knew metalheads. Metalheads, yes. Didn't listen to hip hop that were like Bone Thugs are amazing. Jenny, you like, probably knew people that listen to Bone Thugs too. That was like a thing. I vaguely feel like some of them did. I feel like <laughs> Mikey Westfall probably fucked with Bone Thugs. <laughs> There's a name I haven't thought about. <laughs> yeah. And like a few of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And both of are a good example. I can respect the skill, but I can't, like, I can't listen to the music of my own free will. <laughs> but like, but like this track is, it just, it needles in there in a way that like, yeah, it, it's super catchy. It's good. It's very like, California sound like it's a really good track. I just yeah. You Other just can't this, you I can't get what can't can't get with the Bone Thugs crew. Yeah, I can, <laughs> I can respect what they're doing and yeah. I respect that other people really dig it hard, but I just it doesn't what? do anything. So here's me. here's the thing about Bone Thugs, it, uh, right? It is, it's just not uh, not my vibe. Here's yeah, the thing about Bone Thugs is that they ended up becoming far more influential on hip hop than I think people realized back then because. How many fucking songs have the sing-songy rapping, the triplet rapping, the double-time rapping, like all that stuff that they started or kicked off? Yeah, it made a huge impact. It, yeah, it, people rap more like Bone Thugs now than they rap like Biggie. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's an interesting statement. I have to dig into it a little bit further, but I can see what you're talking. Look about. at the top ten. Look at. I'm not saying like underground, but look at the top ten like. Hip hop yeah, and like R&B, we, we, weekend like Migos, like stuff like that. Migos a little bit old, but that kind of deal. Look at Cardi B and fucking Megan Thee Stallion. Megan yeah. Thee Stallion, the, 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 the double time raps. I mean, yeah. their shit sounds a lot closer to Bone Thugs than it. Dude, there are rappers that are new that proudly say they've never even listened to Biggie at all ever, <laughs> or they don't even barely know who he is. That's crazy. <laughs> It is, it is crazy, like, 
it's crazy considering how big he was when we were teenagers. Mm -hmm. It's not crazy considering he was dead before some of those people were. I know. I'm fucking old, dude. Yeah. So this is the song that, like, for me is like an Eagles song in that I can sing it and I will find myself humming it. And I don't really like that I like it. <laughs> this, maybe this should have been on my uh, shame, my EP of shame. So is this the is this the sweater song of the record? <laughs> <laughs> What's well, not the free bird? No, the actually, right? see, no. So then, let me say this: for me, this is the free bird of the record. Is it okay? This is the free bird of the record. It's six minutes long. It's intense. It's double time. It's crazy. I'm gonna say I'm gonna call this the free bird of the record. Um, so sweater song is like what? Uh, Mo money, mo problems. Mo money, mo problems. Probably, yeah. <laughs> it's about nothing, and it sounds. But it's. I wish I could remember the name of that one Weezer song on the Blue album where he's just like very misogynistic. So we could correlate that. Oh to yeah, him. yeah. Like my girlfriend or girl. Oh uh, no, no one else. My girl. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Unite is the no one else of the Dude, album. there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of no one else's on this fucking album. Yeah. Dude, no, did, no one else no one else is like once per track. So yeah, dude, yeah, no one else is like twink misogyny and this shit is this shit is like on a different fucking misogyny level. Just in no, case you wanted I'm, to listen to this and think it's like some sort of feminist statement. It's not. I am I am finding it very funny to think of like a twink misogynist <laughs> like it's certainly illustrated by South Park and looks like one of the goth groups sure. <laughs> there's uh nasty boy the intro to nasty boy do you remember that Jenny the story he tells in that oh that's the, probably... yes okay so that's yeah that's the story where he's like with a girl and He's like saying, "What do you want to do?" And then she says, "Like that, he she wants him to take shit on take her." Take shit on her. And then he's and then he's. I'm like, man, she's crazy. Like, what the hell? I don't know. And then like he pauses and he's like, "So I shits on the bitch." And he just keeps telling the story. And so yeah, no, there's no literally. I don't know that if there are too many more records that we're gonna do that ex un express unbridled misogyny more than this one. This is, this is, this is, or even to... contain the phrase, so I shit on the bed. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, that's probably not one that will pop up again. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at how many albums I have hidden in the works to pop out for suggestions that include that yeah. exact line. It's <laughs> amazing. I, I really can't wait for that episode. Oh, we've, man. we've got to the core of my musical taste. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's that song with Lil Kim called Another One also yeah which is not very good no it's, really it's not very good. good it's not very good and in fact so i threw on a bonus cut that's not actually on this record because i'm an asshole i may get money but it's it came out like maybe a year before this record and it was on junior mafia's album so junior mafia was like back then back then hip-hop was super into cruise right like wu-tang came out and they had a ton of success. So then all of a sudden every rapper had a crew that they did a crew album and then and that was a way to promote somebody. I don't know. So that was like his crew or whatever. Let me play the instrumental. But I love to me, this is a Biggie and Lil' Kim collaboration. 
and I think the beat is 10 million times better than yeah. the, the Lokin collab in on this record. And yeah. it's pretty fucking great. So that that's why I threw in that as a bonus record. And his rhyme on here is alternately frightening and hilarious, which is hard to do. Well, maybe we'll listen to this in the after party. We'll get into this. But to me, a classic record of this. I think also... I want to say that Randy Simpson also had this Junior Mafia album. Junior Mafia? So we played this shit right. in the car, right. in the truck. Anyway, what else? Any any other any other things that I met? Oh, yeah, I guess <laughs> any I'll ideas still, on I'll Freebird, say, Sweater Song, anything? I, I think I largely agree with you for the, the Freebird Sweater Song. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say that the other track that I have that I'm a little surprised you left off is The World is Filled with the, the, the two short track. And I, the thing that, that I am shocked about that is how good the Puffy verse is. Like, it's, it's a solid, and, and I still am of the opinion that Too Short probably wrote that for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really like that track. Like, I think Too Short lends something that this album, like, that Biggie suggests, but like Too Short just embodies it in a way that, that Biggie doesn't. Yet it's another example of how good Biggie is at conforming to the styles of his, like, guest MCs. Like, yeah, it's a solid Too Short track with Biggie like his verse is super strong Puffy's verse is acceptable um. like yeah so look if I'm looking at the track if I'm looking at the track listing and I'm going through and I'm saying okay like real hip hop heads what would they be upset at me for leaving off probably that's one of them the world is filled I, I don't like the I don't like the chorus I love the beat I think the beat's cool it's like some like exploitation soundtrack 70s shit I think sounds the, pretty good I think the course works for what it is like I think the course works for this style of track because again much like the Biggie and Jay-Z track like this course was a big part of this kind of like pimp rap of the mid 90s yeah it's less and uh, yeah maybe yeah I'm not saying, I don't know if I have good reasons beyond. I don't really like the chorus. The world is full, filled with pimps and hoes. That's fucking boring. I don't know. But but I think, again, if a real hip hop head from back then would probably get on me for not putting this on my cut, probably would get on me for not putting Long Kiss Goodnight on my cut also. And the thing about Long Kiss Goodnight, I think we talked about this, Ryan, don't love like the little tinny trumpet sound on there. And yeah. it's just, I don't know. I don't know if it, it's a little too busy. It has some of his more interesting rhymes, but I don't know, man. It just didn't do it for me. There, there's one last song I do want to talk about. It's so awful. It's like the worst Biggie song of all time. And it's called Play a Hater. Oh my I god. It, yeah. It's there's only one song I can think of where Biggie singing actually works and it's it's your nobody somebody kills you. And isn't Play a Hater the one where he's doing the Delphonics? Dude, it's all, right? Yeah, I mean, I just can't get past his singing. It's just so bad. That's it's so bad. 
And that one to me is, it's so bad that you just wonder who the fuck, like he must have had some yes men. Like who the fuck thought that was a good idea to put on there? Okay, maybe it was never meant, maybe it was never meant to be on here. And then Puffy was like, fuck, he died. Exactly. I'm I'm telling you, that's what I'm saying. I really feel this to me, it would have been like as close to a five star hip hop record as you can get if it was 12 or 13 tracks. Like to me, it's just excessive, man. It's just too long. It's too fucking long. There's too many, there's too much filler. So maybe good transition to ratings. Again, if a hip hop head heard me say it like this, it'd be like heresy. But what I feel like deep down is like this record the two disc version of this record is three and a half stars and that's being generous, I think. The one disc version of this record, I think it's 4.5 to five stars to me. It's like captures exactly what was going on in hip hop around that time. It shows him evolving, changing his flows, trying different things, trying different kinds of beats and doing different things, right? like telling stories, doing like brag raps, collab stuff, doing more R&B type stuff. He's trying to do different things, which I respect a whole lot. It's really easy in hip hop to do the same thing you always do. <laughs> and so kudos to not for not doing that. It just needed a more aggressive editor. And Puffy is not that guy. And Puff, Puff is not that guy. Yeah. And and just there are plenty of times when his shit is just being on this record is super distracting. Like for me, like I said before, my downfall is the only like one of the few ones where his contribution, I think, actually works. Other than that, he could not be on this record as far as I'm concerned. So three and a half stars for me, two disc, two disc version. Ryan? For me is two and a half to three like like it's not some it's just not something that's in my repertoire of hip-hop that i feel the need to go to i feel like my cut of the album takes it closer to the like three three and a half range where i'll probably keep this playlist in amazon music and Mm -hmm. return to it like when I feel like I need a fix and it'll probably get amended with like other biggie tracks that I really enjoy or guest tracks that I really enjoy. But if you're gonna hand me like like Life After Death, yeah, it's like a two and a half star. There's just so much other hip hop that I go to before I go to this album. And as good a storyteller as Biggie is, the full thing is just too much filler, like just too much bullshit. I, I don't dig it. The the stripped down one disc cut takes away most of that bullshit and leaves it in a state where like I wanted to have 12 tracks and I had 14 tracks because every time I thought of one I could maybe cut out, I listened to it again and was like, no, this has to stay for this reason. And um, yeah. So yeah, the full two disc album, two and a half stars, my cut. Three and a half. I had the full start of that. Nice. Jenny? I think I'm probably not saying anything that we haven't already covered, but (laughs) I just think it bears repeating because this album is just, I don't vibe with virtually all of it, and that's okay. There's 
there's not everything is for everyone. The positive that came out of this is that I do, I, I think that there's one song on here that I might revisit of my own free will, kick in the door. Like I'll probably hang on to that and I might, I might bring it up from time to time because I do like it and it's good and it's catchy. So there was good things that came from listening to this. The other good thing that came of it is that it really put me in the mood to listen to MF Doom, which I did and that made me very happy. But as a total piece of work, it's, it's too much. It's too much. It's too much stuff that I didn't vibe with to begin with. <laughs> so I, I gotta give the whole album like probably a one five, but I am glad. Nonetheless, I'm still glad I listened to it and I can still appreciate I get why this was such a big deal at the time to people. And I appreciate like the skill and the, the technical ability that went into some of this. I really do. And I feel bad that I, I don't like it more than I do, but what are you going to do? I mean, uh, you don't have to feel bad. It's, well, it's, all, it's all good. The reality is, it's all good. It's all good, baby, baby. The reality I, is, I think... <laughs> you don't like, you don't have to like anything. And for me, like, I think yeah. I'm sure part of the like feelings that I ascribe to this are like also like just I remember having a lot of fun listening to this music. It was yeah, transgressive. Sure. It was like compelling at the time. It was a different perspective, something that I just, I lived in cities before yeah. that, but I didn't live in like the hell that he described. So to me, it's almost like to get a glimpse or get a picture of, of that kind of stuff in some way was interesting. I was watching like gangster movies at this time, like Casino, Scarface, like all this stuff. So it all fit in with that too. It's all good. I didn't vibe with what was going on with you at the time. and. And then your fucking roommate fucked hypnotized up for you, which is yeah, just a shame. Yeah, that just, just, you know, <laughs> Steve, Steve ruined a lot of things for me. It wasn't just, you know, Biggie. So. Right, right. But in a way, I think that's almost a better or a more pure endorsement of the ones, 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 ones couple that I do is that Kicking the Door is a song I've never heard before this week. I've never heard it. I've never had a good time to it. I don't know shit about it. I don't know. I didn't know what the sample was. I have no idea what it says, but I still <laughs> like that. I'm probably going to keep it around. That's an endorsement. Like, yeah. I, you yeah. cannot attribute my liking that song to a single other thing other than it's a really good song. Yeah. All right. Electric relaxation in the after party. I'm all about yeah. that. I mean, that's like the, the thing too is that there is definitely stuff in this genre. Granted, it's not my genre, but there mm -hmm. are things here and there that I really like. And the fact that when I had this on, it reminded me, like, oh yeah, like there is actually stuff that you don't listen to that often that you really. I was happy for that reminder. It was good. It was a good experience. What are we gonna do next time? I think it's Ryan's turn. Yeah, I think it's my turn. I, all right. Um, let me see if I can pull up. Yeah, I've got, uh, I got a little wrapped up in some older, I guess it's hard rock, rock. So I started digging into Living Colors older albums, which like the big song that plays for them is Cult of Personality, which always feels timely in a political year. And I was thinking it might be interesting to listen to their 1990 album, Time's Up. So that album uh, comes out after Vivid, which was the album that had Cult of Personality on it. 
I'm not sure there are any singles that really are going to stand out to anybody. I, I don't know. I think there's something interesting about Living Color in that their style is very... It's taken from hair metal, but it's more interesting. It's like early Faith No More. It's almost like it's some precursor to like rap metal, but it's almost like a precursor to or a post like hair metal rap metal again very much like early faith no more but also really political in their in their lyrics and the guitarist vernon reed his guitar solos have more in common with van halen almost only like a dissonant they're like a dissonant (laughs) eddie van halen i agree so I think this is one of those bands that kind of gets forgotten about, and I, and I struggled between whether this was going to be um, Living Color or Fishbone for that exact reason. I think I may come back to Fishbone at a later time because that's another like black punk ska like Bad Brains and Fishbone, both fantastic. Living Color, a lot more rock a lot more mainstream and I don't think mainstream in the sound that they were making but definitely not mainstream in their coverage um, and this album has both a guest appearance from Little Richard and a guest appearance of Dougie Fresh I think this will be fun it'll be different awesome I want to take it and cut it down to an I don't EP. think I've ever listened to yeah I don't think I've ever listened to I have the not full record. this is brand new to me so. Yeah, so the, the the last track on this album is probably one of my favorite, I don't know, just, it's a go-to track for me. So maybe we could throw that in the after party, it, it, it's like a taste. Oh um, yeah? What's the, last, yeah, what's the name of the last track? The last track is called This Is The Life. Yeah, they recently did a live version, which is what kind of reminded me. So if, this is the Life 2020 is the, the most recent nice. and probably the closest you're going to find to a video. Cool. This is them like covering it pre-pandemic. Thanks. But yeah, it, I think it goes a good way. It goes a long way to show like these guys had political activism and rock and roll before Rage Against the Machine ever became a thing. And in a way that it's unfair that they got dropped out of the story in the way that they did because their sound is really influential to what rock became vernon reed's guitar playing is super unique for solo lead guitars at the time it's a great album sweet exciting i can't wait to dig into the record jenny do you want to drop any hints as to what you're thinking about for two times from now I could tell you what I'm, I could drop a hint about what I'm thinking about, but I can't discount that my mind might not randomly change between now and then. Well, yeah. But I'm, I, I will say <laughs> I'm leaning heavily towards doing something really fun because I feel like we're ready for a palate cleanser. Hmm. So that's what I'm leaning towards. We'll see. Fun. Cool. Okay. Okay.